In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about slowing down to think. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. So we need milk and Swiss cheese. That's what Katie sent me to the store for, and that's really all we need for tonight's dinner. I go up to the local grocery. I know it's a little more expensive there, but I'm sacrificing price for convenience today, and that's a good thing. The dairy department is on the far left wall, but there's no easy way to get there. The entrance is on the far right, and the first thing I see when I come in is the floral shop. Roses are buy one dozen, get another free. It's been a while since I got Katie some flowers, and she does like them. So I get a couple dozen roses. Just past that are a series of another buy one, get one free offers put in little portable bins. Ketchup, little cans of almonds, baked beans, pudding, Chips Ahoy cookies, all buy one, get one free. A few look enticing, and most don't, so I pass on that. Making a straight shot for dairy, one of the end caps has a bag of wisps, a cheese chip which is free of carbs, $2 off. I eat low carb, so it is interesting to me. I get a bag to see if I'll like it. Finally, I'm to dairy where I look over the butter and shredded cheese to find what I came for. Swiss cheese and milk. $6 and three fifty a piece. Less than $10. But when I get to the checkout, it's just a little less than $30. Wow. Where did that come from? Well, if you followed my shopping, you know they caught me. The Swiss cheese and milk has made a couple friends, and the way they get me to almost triple my grocery bill was by convincing me I wasn't spending money but saving it. I didn't spend $27. I saved 15 How did they do that? There's a good explanation. When I go into the store, I was buying dinner completion. But by the time I walked out, I had also bought Katie's happiness and my satisfied curiosity. And I feel pretty good about that because I feel like I got a deal. Who wouldn't buy happiness and wish fulfillment for an extra $18? I would. I did. I mean, I walked out with more than I bargained for. But I was also helping out the grocery store sell more stuff. They wanted the most money they could get out of me. And by the time I walked out, I think they accomplished their mission pretty well. It's one thing to buy a few extra items at the grocery store to satisfy your curiosity, but in Christianity, it's important you understand what's going on with your decisions, what we should tell the world, and what we value. As I've mentioned before, I'm in a book club with a few other Christians, and last month we read a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman is a psychologist and a really smart guy who won a Nobel Prize back in 2002. When you get a bunch of Christians together, there's a predictable pattern that emerges. We talk about the parts of the book that we agreed with or disagreed with, but inevitably, we figure out how this book relates back to Christianity, and it always does. The premise of this book is that we have two different systems of thinking. System one is fast and often operates at gut level. System 2 is much closer and requires concentration, attention, and real effort. You may be thinking you should always live in System 2 thinking, but we just can't. For a moment, think about a typical day. You're lying in bed and you hear your alarm go off. 
Should you press the snooze or get up and get some coffee or not press snooze and let the alarm just drone on for a bit? If you let the alarm go on, you will get annoyed after a while. But if you press snooze, you could easily drift back to sleep and wake up groggy later. Or you could just force yourself up at this point. But how badly would you feel as a result? Would it be worth the effort to get up? By getting up this early, are you accomplishing some goal you have? And will this make you feel guilty? Are you now more motivated by guilt than accomplishment? Okay, this could go on, and I think you get the idea. Some of these questions may be worth analyzing, but we haven't even gotten out of bed yet. So we make a quick decision, often based on emotion and how we feel. If we resorted to system two thinking for everything, we just get nothing done. The alarm goes off and you get out of bed. Problem solved. But is that the best solution? Well, maybe not. But it does allow you to make the next decision and get on with the business of living. So why is this a big deal, especially to Christians? I think it's safe to assume most of our decisions are made quickly, without much thought. But occasionally, we need to think deeper about decisions we make routinely to see if they're working or not. Kahneman says there are a number of things which begin affecting how we see our choices through a distorted lens. First is the power of stories versus information. Second is the tendency to base things on our past experience. And finally, we often exaggerate loss over what we could gain. I've been reading through the Proverbs recently, and I've noticed something about them. They're hard to read. Why? Well, once you get past chapter 10, most of the Proverbs are just a couple of lines of general wisdom. Proverbs 69 reads, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Then verse 10 reads, An oracle is on the lips of a king, his mouth does not sin in judgment. Chapter 16 has 33 of those. What's far easier to follow is a story. God chose to record the teachings of Jesus as a story rather than a book of laws. And I think there's a good reason for that. We love stories. We begin to identify with characters like Peter or Andrew. We think about how impulsive Peter was. And we can be impulsive too, so you probably understand Peter pretty well. He was probably a lot like you, right? Well, when I say it like that, you probably see the problem with that thinking. Of course he wasn't. He was a first-century fisherman, and there's far more that we don't know about Peter than we do. However, because we have a little of his story and identify with parts of his character, we begin filling in the details with our own stories. And what's the harm in that? Isn't that the way we figure out how to apply a bunch of ideas and concepts? Yes, it is. And it works for us a lot. But let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever watched a television show where a child is kidnapped by a stranger? I've seen those shows, and they're petrifying. It's absolutely one of my worst nightmares. And the story I see either in a TV crime drama or some reality show tells the story really well. Now, how often do child abductions by a stranger occur? Take a guess. Say it out loud. Commit to it. Are those numbers going up or down? Again, choose a number. I don't want to make light of people who have lost a child this way, 
But in a population of about 73 million children, approximately 384 were abducted by a stranger in 2011, according to the FBI. Again, that's tragic for families who go through that. But that works out to about five kids per million in 2011. And that number has been going down. In 2016, the number was 303, which is about four kids in every million. That's low. According to the FBI, missing persons have gone down by 31% between 1997 and 2011 in general. And yet, because we see and hear the stories so often, either fictitious or true, there's a good chance you think a lot about this extremely rare problem. Stories are very powerful. Even when we know a story is rare, it doesn't keep us from thinking it's more true or more pervasive than it actually is. In 1 Kings 19, the old prophet Elijah felt like everyone had turned against God and started worshiping Baal. He had seen it time and time again. However, God tells him, even though he knows those stories, 7,000 hadn't acknowledged Baal. Elijah's stories were accurate, but not representative. Practically speaking, just because you can tell one story about one person who had suffered something doesn't mean it affects everyone. System one says, assume everything is like the story you know. System two says, stop for a minute and analyze what probably makes the story you know different. Perhaps the best story we know is our own. As Christians, we often have to make quick decisions which require us to make judgment calls. I stumbled on a little gem of a saying, that more is lost by indecision than wrong decisions. And I have to agree. Sometimes we need to do something rather than be paralyzed by doing nothing. These quick judgments are often intuition and then rationalizing the choice we made. So, for example, Saul decided he would not utterly destroy everything from the Amalekites so he could sacrifice the sheep and cattle to God. He made a judgment call. Whether he was making an excuse or if he was going to keep some of the livestock isn't the point here. His judgment was wrong, and Samuel brought that to his attention. As Christians, the judgment calls we make are often flavored by our emotional connection to the outcomes. In class, I often talk about how we make decisions based on emotion, but then justify our decisions with logic. Emotions motivate. Logic justifies. And let me be clear, I don't think it's possible to divorce emotions from the decision-making process. In Peter's famous speech at the temple after Pentecost, Peter used emotion to move the murderers of Jesus to shame and guilt, and then showed the logic behind the accusation. Jesus was the Messiah. Here are the reasons why, and you killed him. That would make me feel pretty bad, just like it did them but they knew why they had done it. I've heard it said we often judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. And I think that's true. We always know what we meant to do and why we did it. However, intuition and system one thinking doesn't always help us, but sometimes short circuit's a better solution. 
Going back to Jesus, the people knew they had to make a judgment about him. I mean, he was clearly claiming to be the Messiah. How ridiculous. He wasn't the first to make that claim, and every single other person who did were liars. So it made complete sense to assume Jesus was as well. Except they didn't examine what he did. That would take much more work. They assumed he wasn't because no one ever was. Except this time, they were wrong. They needed to use the thinking and reasoning skills reserved for hard thinking. However, we're often no better. We often make snap judgments based on intuition and gut feeling for good reason. It's difficult and time-consuming to do deep thinking, and so we don't. More than that, we know our judgment often works well for us, except when it doesn't. Kahneman talks about how we often reduce complex ideas to simple ones so we can eliminate the need for deeper thinking. So, for example, answer this. Are you happy? Well, happiness is a difficult concept to define. It could mean being content with your choices or in harmony with those around you. However, what's your mood right now? Do you feel good? Well, that's an easier question to answer. So, we substitute a complex idea like happiness for a simpler idea like mood and say, sure, we're happy. Why? Because it's too hard and takes too much time to figure out what the real answer is. Sometimes we decide to think fast rather than slow because we're scared. There's an old experiment Robert Cialdini conducted to see if we're more motivated by gaining something or losing something. He had people in an Arizona community take an energy audit of their home and examine things like weather stripping and insulation. To one group, he said if they would make some simple changes to their homes, they would put 10% of their money back in their pockets. In other words, they would gain more money. To the other group, he said if they didn't make the changes, they were losing 10% of their money to home energy inefficiency. He was saying the same thing, but phrased one way to one set of customers that they were losing and to the other that they would gain. Which do you think made the changes? Those who had something to lose were far more likely to act than those who had something to gain. As Christians, we understand this. We are often more motivated to not lose our souls than we are to gain heaven or a relationship with God. We don't want to lose what we have rather than gain what we don't. I think I partially understand that. I'm awfully comfortable with what I've got, or at least what I'm used to. And if I had to change, I don't know what that would look like. If I would think about that more, it makes no sense at all. Having a relationship with God is an amazing thing to gain. But in order to do that, I have to lose a part of my life I understand really well. And I know how that part operates. The same thing goes with the afterlife. I'm scared of dying. Even though I know there's something greater waiting for me on the other side. I know that. But I don't want to lose what I've got now. One of the harsher-sounding teachings of Jesus 
was that if we didn't hate our mother and father and children and family and our own lives, we can't really be a disciple. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, if we want to save our lives, we have to lose them. That's really hard. We are geared to not lose things. We would rather not lose than win. But that makes no sense at all. As Christians, we have to unlearn a fear of loss and instead find the joy in gaining Christ. Again, Jesus understands this well. Perfect love, he says, gets rid of fear. So we have to think harder. We have to retrain our brains to understand what God is teaching us and reevaluate what we think we know. God tells us we have to lose in order to gain. That's hard, but it's worth it. So I came home that day with Swiss cheese, milk, two dozen roses, and cheese crackers. Did the grocery see me coming? <laughs> Probably. I'm not sure I used the best judgment. I wasn't thinking about the losses I was incurring. But I also didn't count on what I would gain. I went trying to make dinner and ended up making my wife happy and satisfying my own curiosity. What about you? What thinking do you probably need to revisit? Is it what you believe? Is it what you think you know for sure? Or is it what you believe about those around you? Do yourself a favor and think again about something you think you already know. As for the good thing I'm thinking about this week, I'm grateful for new beginnings. The end of the semester is happening for me, and I'm trying to finish out the semester for my kids. It's a stressful time, but very satisfying. Next week, I plan to release my interview with Kenny Moore. It was a great conversation, and I know you'll enjoy hearing it. So until next time, let's be good and do good. <laughs>